well, I went to work two months after my son was born. And um, I was just working and breastfeeding, holding him with my with one hand and typing and working with the other, no problem. <laughs> so I went back and restructured everything and came up with this uh, three-week course, just HTML and CSS in more depth where, you know, we explain everything and we have exercises together and office hours together and a hackathons together. It's DeAndre here and this is The Pioneers Show. The show where we talk with innovators, makers, entrepreneurs, basically people who are trailing their own trails and creating their own lives so that we all can learn how to work on our own lives. If this is your first time here, thank you for downloading and listening and I appreciate you taking the time to hear this episode. Subscribe and enjoy listening to the pioneers of today. And if you're a repeat listener, welcome back. This is episode 21 and I'm your host, Andre Dialpkerk. You can find me at It's DeAndre on Twitter, as well as the show at Pioneers Show on Instagram. If you're like me, you've probably heard, seen or read about the fantastic life of entrepreneurs. Build your own careers, make millions, be free. Now, some of this might be true, but like all things, truth is totally subjective. Elena Kolevska, this week's guest, found that the hard way. As the founder of Umahub, Elena was getting international media attention. She was creating one of the most intriguing new coding schools, but there she realized that that was not her world, her calling. Elena is a very intriguing, refreshing, and incredible guest. She has worked all over as a software engineer, and we go over and we talk about her experience, about learning how to code, and about her experience as a startup founder. Before we go on, I would like to thank Isabel from The Woe Dinner for making this episode possible by introducing Elena to me. For those who don't know, The Woe Dinner started as a networking dinner for women in tech who wanted to comfortably connect with their peers in a relaxed atmosphere. Within a year, it developed an energetic global network of women and men, still promoting the advancement of women in technology. They have been doing events in Portugal and in Ireland, and I advise you guys to research them and try to participate in a new event near you. Without taking a lot more, let's jump into the conversation with Elena Kolevska. Elena, welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you. I'm good. Thank you. I'm very, very glad that you're here. And just to let this be clear to everyone that we're li that's listening right now, this is the first interview that I'm doing uh, with a partnership that I have with Woe Wo Dinner. My friend Isabella made the introduction. So shout out to Isabella and to World Dinner. It's a diversity network that helps women succeed and get better connections within the technology industry. Yeah, thank you, Isabella. Isabella is great. So with this in mind, I would like to know a little bit more about you. So Elena, could you present yourself? Yes, of course. I have many different aspects. Uh, I don't know which one uh, your audience is going to find uh, most interesting. Uh, let's start with the uh, probably most common, dullest one, but in my opinion, the most challenging role I have in my life. I'm a mom. I usually don't mention that first. I mention it last, but let's just take it you know, uh, off the table for now. Uh, I'm a software engineer. I actually graduated in electronics and telecommunications engineering, but then straight out of university, I uh, continued with programming because I realized I had probably made a little mistake in choosing the correct university because I, I started programming. Uh, I taught myself, I started teaching myself um, programming when I was 16. 
and I had always loved it and enjoyed it. So straight out of university, uh, I went to programming mostly because I thought that it gave me a much bigger liberty of choosing a job, a team, life, and uh, yeah, just giving a, a better quality of life. Because as a programmer, you just need your brain and your computer and your uh, set. Mm-hmm. As a uh, telecommunications engineer, you always d- depend on probably a big monopoly, a huge inert uh, company with sometimes difficult structures, hierarchies, not moving fast enough. And then it would take dozens of years uh, until you can get to a more interesting position where, where you actually get to be creative with your engineering skills as opposed to following someone else's plans and architecture. So that's why I went. I think that is the biggest reason I went uh, straight into, into programming after university. Very cool. Um, so before we tackle that, your history, I would like just like to ask you, so a lot of people say that technology and more specifically programming, but technology as a whole is a very man-dominated industry. Usually men are more attracted to this thing, while women as a general position are not as interested or inclined to do this thing. So why do you think that nowadays with such, I won't say pressure, but with such stories about the the diversity, why do you think it's such important to have diversity in the workplace? Okay, and I I think this is a a two-part question. Yes, it is still male-dominated industry. Of course, it's that's uh, a fact we have. I don't know what's the average, but I think in the Eastern world, 30 or maybe a little bit higher percentage of women. The Western world is is less, maybe around 20, 25, depends um, on which area. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, why? So, two questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, why is it that women are not? Uh, why is it that we don't have enough women? And mm-hmm. second, why is it important to have diversity? Well, for the first question, I have been thinking about that a lot and talking to different people. Um, I think it all starts uh, in the very early years of a child's development. I think cultural conditioning has a lot to do about it. And mm-hmm. we've done a terrible job biasing our children towards or against uh, this role. Um, and I always, you know, tell people the example of my father, who is also an engineer. Um, I, I remember I was, I don't know how many years, but like very, very, very young with my sister. He was teaching us chess at home and the two of us were playing against him almost every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, both of us are engineers now <laughs> um, and uh, sometimes he would let us win sometimes you know I, I can remember all the rare opportunities where the two of us did win against him <laughs> it was such an achievement and the kick I used to get out of it was so big that I always you know continued in the um, let's say logical problem solving uh, field uh, and In the Eastern Bloc, I think, I don't know, that has been, I think that the division between gender roles, at least at work, so public, Mm -hmm. like private home environment is a different thing. But at work, public, in, um, uh, in the community, we really didn't have, um, 
that problem of women in tech. There were great women scientists. Uh, my mom has been also, she's a professional, a working professional her whole life. She's a lawyer. Now she works in the in uh, ministries, of, uh, finances, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. She said she never had. She's always been in uh, management roles, uh, leadership roles. She never said that she suffered sexism at work. So sexism in the Eastern cultures, Eastern Europe, most uh, socialist, communist cultures, is not really that big of a problem. Another interesting anecdote uh, is like if you Google Soviet Christmas cards, do you know what you're going to see? I'm checking it right now. Rockets going to space, like comparison Christmas cards (laughs) for kids uh, in the Western (laughs) is is with Santa, right? This it's a so fantasy. Cool. It's a fantasy. The Soviet kids used to have like Christmas Christmas cards with rockets going to the moon. So that's how uh, we were maybe brainwashed. I, maybe, yeah, we can say that. But the uh, the governments of that time were kind of forcing technology and science to people and showing what the, you know the importance of it all. Mm-hmm. So I think that women from from there were m- m- way more stimulated um, to go to go into tech or STEM. You can see Indian girls. Indian girls are you know a subject to be discovered. Indian female programmers. There are so many of them, and it's uh, now it's considered you know a, a status symbol to go into programming because uh, families know that it pays well, and they know that girls can do it as well as boys. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, so I definitely think it is a cultural conditioning. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, of course, there are some um, studies that probably... Now, I don't know the exact numbers or the exact name of the studies or who confirmed that if they, they were repeated, but um, there were those studies where, where give kids a toy and usually girls would pick up the, uh, the subject Mm-hmm. Boys would pick up an object, pick up an object toy. So girls would pick up doll, uh, animal, or like a living thing, mm-hmm. and boys would mostly pick up um, uh, an object, a mm-hmm. car, a square. Cube, yeah, that's been proven. Whatever. That's been proven. So who knows? Maybe there is something, but you know, we're all. Maybe there is some general. Um, thing, but we are all different in the end. So I don't think that gender is the main differentiator for this. I've always had interest in science, and uh, I always will continue to have. So, so it is still an individual thing. And um, um, pairing that with my family's support, I think it's been it's been great. One of the things that you mentioned about the Indian girls, uh, one of the things, uh, one, one girl that I interviewed last week, actually, he's a, she's a brilliant, brilliant engineer, engineer rather, and she's Indian. And she, she, talked, she told me a lot about a hundred different things, which is amazing that in, in India, such a conservative country as you have that image usually has a lot of people right now going through te- going to technology and trying to revolutionize the world from a such country that usually you don't quite necessarily put into the world of technology even though nowadays with a lot of people going at least for call centers there but now we're going a little getting a little bit sidetracked so first thing that i would like to ask where are you from i'm from macedonia and Ex-Yugoslavia. Yeah, ex-Yugoslavia, okay. 
So clearly you were born in the Soviet, Soviet Union, correct? No, we weren't, but we still had socialism as the, uh, the system. Mm. So not communism, not, uh, the, not the Soviet Union, mm -hmm. but Yugoslavia. Yugoslavia was a little bit more balanced, you know, in the middle between the West and the East. You already talked a little bit about programming. And after doing some research on you, I've seen that you've not only traveled the whole world, or let's say had jobs in different areas of the world. When we were talking before the interview, you were talking about Brazil. Now I know that you're in Portugal. Great country, by the way. Great, great country. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I would like to know, so what, what was your, so you were studying uh, in, in Macedonia, I assume, or did you study outside of your country? Yeah. Yes, in Macedonia. So you were studying in Macedonia. What was, what did you do or what happened for you to leave Macedonia in the first place? Was it a, a goal of you to leave that country or what made that happen? Uh Uh, well, I left the country as a consequence of my desire to get to know other countries. Um, I went, so in 2009, uh, I went on my first interrail trip, do you know mm -hmm. interrail? So for the international and non-European Union listeners, uh, interrail uh, ticket is, um, you can get it very cheap as a European uh, young person with until 25 years or something like that. You get, for example, for 200 and something euros, you get a train pass for the whole month, more or less, in Europe. And you just hop on a train whenever you want and go to any city in Europe uh, with your backpack and just meet people and enjoy life. So I went on that trip alone, meeting friends uh, on my way, and I had such an amazing time. Mm, I fell in love in Barcelona, an amazing city. So on my way way back from Barcelona, I said, okay, next year in July, I'm moving to Barcelona. I love in Barcelona. Meantime, yeah. <laughs> in the meantime, the uh, financial crisis kind of became... More apparent in Europe. Yes. Yes, especially in Spain. And uh, I started doing capoeira. Really? So I said, you know what? Yeah. And I was completely hooked. I think, yeah, that's the thing I discovered about myself lately, that I'm a little bit of an obsessive person when it comes to music and, uh, I don't know, hobbies. Uh, so, like, when I discover new artists, I go and discover everything on them, on the band. I watch all the shows. I know all the albums. I listen to it obsessively for a month. That's good. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, well, <laughs> maybe. I'm like that. Um, I remember that the first time that I heard, I think it was Metallica or started to listen to Metallica. I remember I just had to download the full discography and just listen to it just to figure out, okay, yeah. are, are these guys yeah. just the nothing oh, else matters or do they have more songs? And then, oh yeah, they have it. <laughs> Yeah, so, so yeah, and I was like, I became like that with Capoeira, completely obsessed, studying music, started to learn Portuguese, uh, I, I started to learn all, all the instruments, the, the drums, the brimbau, yeah, <laughs> and the pandeiro. So it, it, it's, it's Brazilian, capoeira, Brazilian Capoeira, not the, the from Angola, right? Uh, well, they say Capoeira de Angola, but it's actually, it was uh, invented uh, in Brazil by the slaves. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, no. And now one style of Capoeira is called Capoeira de Angola, mm -hmm. but it's not actually from Angola, it's Brazil. Ah, as well, because I know that there are, there are two styles of Capoeira. You have the one with the Jenga, the, yeah. the Brazilian, Brazil and then and you have the one Angola, like in... Yeah. All, all, uh, huh, I don't know how you say yeah. it in English. On the ground, yeah, exactly. the slower, the rhythms are different, yeah, but it's all Brazilian. I actually. didn't know that. 
and um, and yeah, that was my obsession with capoeira, and especially with drums. I have this thing with drums. I don't know. There is something in me that really vibrates when I hear drums, and I said, "Oh, I'm going to Brazil." So I told my then boss, "Okay, in three months, May, I'm quitting." I'm going to Brazil. He was like, what? <laughs> this is Macedonia in 2010, mm-hmm. okay? Digital nomadism was still not a word. Uh, I didn't know anyone in Macedonia who worked remotely. No one, no one in person, actually. I, didn't, I hadn't met anyone in my life who worked remotely. Um, and I said, okay, I'll, I'll go to Brazil. I find a job. So I was searching for different job posts. And uh, I think I found something on Craigslist. I applied for, for, uh, for a, just a regular web developer job in the United States. I got it. <laughs> Suddenly, I was earning three times as much as in Macedonia, <laughs> working remotely from wherever I wanted. <laughs> And even though, even with that three times as much, I was still earning very little money. It's just that in Macedonia, salaries were very, very low. And I had a very high salary for a Macedonian. So yeah, I got that starting uh, getting my money. And I went to Brazil. I moved to Brazil. And uh, I always say this, it's very convenient to earn uh, money in a first world country, but live somewhere cheaper. (laughs) It's uh, it's really nice. Living a yeah, living a cheaper country, having a first world salary. It's it's internet uh, connection. <laughs> yeah, of course the internet connection. I think that's why a lot of people also go to places like Indonesia and Thailand, where the internet is yeah. crazy fast, crazy cheap. Yeah. Everything is crazy cheap. But as soon as you can get like yeah. an American or an English or even a German salary, you can get paid. It, it almost become an instant millionaire by the first by the first salary. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's why, uh, of course, that lifestyle appeals to young people. First of all, because you have freedom. And I just have this big interest in in understanding people and understanding. To me, it's such a nice challenge to understand how someone thinks. And if I, I find real pleasure in that, understanding how some brains work, and then even more understand how... Uh, uh, cultures work, how communities work. So I find that very intriguing, and um, yeah, I, I take huge pleasure in in learning that. So traveling and um, you know becoming richer in experience is uh, is a big thing for me. Hmm. One anecdote as well, but I, I seem to find a lot of people lately that have done martial arts and are programmers. Do you think there's a relationship somewhere there? Because at least I come from, I did jujitsu for a lot of years. Uh, I know a lot of people that went to, my, my own father, he's a he's a programmer, uh, he's a developer. He's also some kind of other kind of engineers that he's done a lot of things his whole life, but his whole life was a lot of martial arts as well. Do you think there there's something there that just maybe can entices more people or what do you think i have no idea i've actually i i think i've ever met someone who's i have i really don't know but you know what maybe there is something because my uh, master like my master mm-hmm. kapura master always says super intelligent man by the way no formal education but i genius mind um and he says kapura is just with the body 
Yeah, like jujitsu. So you have to take like two or three steps before your opponent leads them. Oh, opponent, actually, well, friend who you're mm-hmm. playing to with your other person, not against that other person. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe there is something because, uh, yeah, before I started doing capoeira and I, I used to see the, those MMA fights, I was like, oh my God, this is such a barbaric, stupid thing. How can you guys watch this? How can someone do this? But now I, I watch sometimes when I go somewhere and there is MMA. I don't have TV, but when I go somewhere and there is MMA on the TV, I actually find it quite interesting. It's interesting to see how people strategize um, now the goal for that strategizing is not very interesting or knock someone down. I like it. I, I, uh, I like but it. But it's still interesting. I remember when I did the ju- I did Brazilian Jiu Jitsu back in Lisbon, and I remember that was the first time that I got introduced to the MMA area. And one thing you just said is that usually fighting, be it martial arts or some kind of a more rhythmic dance with f- strikes like capoeira, is I think that like you said, it's a kind of a body chess that you have to do and it's logical mm-hmm. thinking it's critical thinking it's critically logical problem solving so i think that maybe there you can see some kind of connection with the programming world but it's yeah. something that i just started yeah. to realize recently that a lot of people that go into programming usually like martial arts i know this is anecdotal evidence but i i, I seem to like it usually it's it's a, it's a trend that i've been seeing probably just three people ever but it's interesting <laughs> yeah well yeah i should i really miss capoeira uh, but i have really huge problems with huge pain in my back when i when i go back uh to train every time i try and go back hoping this time will be better i it just hurts so much i said man like if my body is not enjoying this maybe i should just start yoga or something and I did start and tried but I realized that for me yoga or surfing that's absolutely not the sport for me I need music mm-hmm. I need rhythm and I need the group to do my have you tried Pilates usually Pilates are- no, yeah I did no too slow for me and really not that physically intense mm. so but there is an Afro dance group starting in Nerissera soon <laughs> with live drummers Ooh. <laughs> I just can't wait. I was so, so happy when I, when, um, when I went to a workshop, I thought it was a one-time thing here, here in Risera. And the girl said that actually they moved here, they live here and they're planning to start a, a group. I think my reaction, my overly enthusiastic <laughs> reaction completely scared the shit out of that girl. But um, yeah, I'm so happy that is going to, to happen. Yeah. But going back to the interview. Thanks. Yes. <laughs> so you are the um, founder, let's let's call it that, the founder and CEO of Umahub, correct? Yes. But according to your LinkedIn or my own research, you're also the, a software engineer for a company called VAR42 and the CTO of Invisible City, correct? Yes, that's correct. Okay, can we start from... <laughs> VAR42 and go up until Umahub because that's where I would like to focus the more energy, but I would like to know what you do in those areas. Yeah, so VAR42 is a collective of uh, engineers. Um, we work together like establishing processes and we share, mostly we share our knowledge. So for example, when I have an engineering problem uh, or a decision to make, 
uh, we think that it's better to put our collective knowledge together mm-hmm. and you know have different point of views and different experiences experiences of course everyone every each and every one of us has had uh, different problems uh, in the past from which we've learned from so bringing all that knowledge to one problem is uh, many times better than having just one pair of eyes and one brain so um, that's that's what we do usually we don't have uh, Client, clients like we don't have at the moment we don't have any projects in there and everyone people from the collective whoever is free they can participate in any project that comes um i for now i just participated like briefly in one project uh it was very nice very nice experience working with amazing people we're all friends uh but yeah that was re- uh, a brief thing um because I, I, I was starting, I had, like, I was doing other things. Mm-hmm. And then Invisible City, uh, it's an amazing project. Currently, we are a little bit stagnant because in, uh, we, we had big changes. Uh, it was a European Union-funded uh, uh, nonprofit, mm-hmm. uh, meant to be the European Union's uh, cultural data platform for cultural events funded by institutes like Gulbenkind, funded by the Austrian government, uh, Estonian, I think the Portuguese government even wanted to, to fund. I don't remember, there were a few countries that, that had already funded this project, the Goethe Institute. So, uh, yeah, funded from outside sources. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, non-profit. And uh, you know, we have an app for cultural events. It used to work... Uh, um, uh, it used to be coupled with Facebook's API, mm-hmm. but after that scandal in March, uh, Cambridge Analytica. Uh, yeah, Cambridge Analytica. Uh, that API got closed. They don't expose even public data anymore. So we changed strategy, and we are now currently mm, registering as a, a independent nonprofit and um, going with another. Well, not completely different, but mostly uh, small artist-focused strategy. So it's going to be very interesting. I think I don't think I should be revealing much. Okay, okay, no now. problem. Then we don't need to talk a lot about uh, a lot more about that. Yeah, but it's very interesting. I'm working with amazing developers, amazing CEO. Our CEO is Ksenia Shrafulina, a Russian girl. She's a kick-ass boss lady. I love working with her. And I, it's, to me, I just think it's so cool that we have a, a, fe- um, a female CEO and CTO. So, okay, one question that yeah, I have for you, I, I don't want to go a lot in, into depth of about what it's the situation about it now specifically, but for people who, okay, first of all, how do you structure a nonprofit that's going to be funded by the EU? Was that something that was meant to be from the get-go or was that something that was the EU specifically that I tried to get at? How was that the, the creation of that idea? Uh, I'm not sure, and actually, I'm going to talk about it, but I prefer staying out of those bureaucracy things. <laughs> uh, I don't want to know. I simply never even thought about asking, but it was European Union National Institutes of Culture, so it's a separate organization. It's not directly funded by European Union, but some European Union funds, I really don't know. <laughs> 
I really don't know, but you can, you know, invite Ksenia. Uh, she, I think she would be also an amazing, she would make an amazing um, guest uh, on, on your podcast too. And she can explain all about those. Introduction. Mm-hmm. Yes, for sure. <laughs> uh, uh, and now focusing a lot more on Umahab. Yes. What's the two sentence pitch of what is Umahab? Oh, oh my God, I forgot it. <laughs> I came unprepared. Okay, Umahab um, was uh, maybe, I don't, uh, actually, I don't know. I don't want to give a business pitch. I can give a pitch about what was my, my intention with mm-hmm. it. So it got born as my. Uh, I'm a curious person <laughs> and I like challenges. So I was thinking, you know what? Um, I've spent over 10 years of my life architecting software. I would like to try and architect a business. Uh, let's see how that goes. Um, so I thought a little bit about it. I mean, for a long time I hadn't tried. Okay, I always thought it's going to probably be some software as a service product. I tried a few. I created one platform and then I realized it's freaking evil to to do that because it would be it it would have enabled big companies to spam people with sms and calls so i said no 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 i'm i'm, I'm shutting this down i don't want probably to do financially this. speaking to do that would be a great idea though yeah i know i know i know but that's not me i don't want to have that karma on me and the product is there now i open sourced it i open, i put the back end on my github well, what's the there. what's the name of the the, the company or the project it's not, no, uh, I think Pulse Pipe, I gave it a Oh Yeah, I didn't have branding, I, I, nothing. It was just, you know, first I just focused on the technical mm-hmm. product using the Twilio API. Yeah, I, I assume when you said text uh, messaging, I assumed you would be using Twilio. Yeah, <laughs> Twilio, Plevo. Plevo is, is cheaper, but they are not uh, as uh, reliable as Twilio. And believe me, I do know what I'm saying because that call center in a browser I built with a Californian company, we were completely 100% reliant on, on uh, Plevo for a while uh, to deliver. Anyway, that's a completely different subject. Um, but yeah, that product, and I started, I pitched it uh, at some you know business meetings here in Elisera in the, in the business incubator we have. And people were saying, you should really go for it. This has potential. Uh, and... <laughs> I just realized, man, this is absolutely not me. I don't want to do this. It's just, no. So I I, I just put it out there now on my GitHub. And, uh, but not with, like, without the front end, just the back end. Because coding-wise, code-wise, it was interesting for me. It was my first uh, completely test-driven uh, project that I had done. Mm-hmm. Before that, I had just done, you know, just, some tests here and there, but this was, uh, you know, it's a nice, nice exercise for myself too. One question about that specifically. So it, I'm now, like I told you in the beginning of the conversation, I'm now learning how to code. And one of the things that a lot of people I'm sure ask is what programming language I need to, to speak or to, to, to understand and what kind of knowledge do I need to have? And one of the things that you said when you had the first job in the US, when you started working remotely, you got hired as a web developer, right? Yes. When we say web developer, are we talking about applications or are we talking about like front end, back end websites? Uh, to me, a web developer develops dynamic websites. So you have not very complicated 
website with some uh, some business logic to it, but nothing that would uh, let's say have users register and log in and have some backend capabilities. So mostly dynamic websites. Let's say I don't know. Let's say building a um, blog or showing dynamic content mm-hmm. on your website, and of course, building the website itself, the, the front end. So, to me, that's that's what uh, a web developer is working mostly with, you know, presentational websites. Um, you know, a programmer. You know, the uh, borders here are very thin. They're not mm-hmm. really, you know, exact, uh, and there is a lot of uh, overlap between categories. But uh, the way I see it, you know, a backend developer is someone who, uh, in my opinion, is someone who works mo- mostly with the uh, server side logic. I say the engine <laughs> of the of the whole thing. Mm, uh, most often mm-hmm. exposes just an API to which the front end connects, but sometimes even you know work in the uh, mm-hmm. the same code base and just uh, renders HTML also. But m- sometimes the front end developer does that work well. But yeah, uh, database architecture, system design, you know, that's mostly back end, you know, correct? Best practices, yeah, yeah. That's no, that that is back end. The uh, front end developers don't need to know anything about the database unless we start talking about Firebase and stuff like that in the modern developers, mm-hmm. the modern development days. <laughs> but uh, usually, uh, traditionally, back end developers take care of uh, database and database design. So when we're talking about just just in terms of languages, when you're talking about front end, we're talking about HTML, CSS, JavaScript. Yes. That's it, or are we talking about probably? I know there are tons of libraries and frameworks for JavaScript, but outside of that, yes. are, is there any other front end language? Uh, no, that's it. So every other from Ruby to Python to PHP, Java, C sharp, C plus plus, C blah blah blah, all those things are backend. Yes, correct. Yes. Them. The browser doesn't understand anything uh, uh, except HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. As of now, I mean, there there are some tries, like some uh, some new standards or something. Of course, there are variants of JavaScript, but eventually everything gets compiled to JavaScript. TypeScript, uh, I don't know what, 2015, but everything gets uh, transpiled, actually, to JavaScript. So for someone who doesn't Okay, let's t- let's talk about for, in this case for me, for example. But I know that Uma Hub will talk a little bit more in depth in that. But imagine someone who doesn't come from a technical background, such as me, loves technology, and wants to be a little bit more in depth or in control of his own career, his or her career, her career, of course. What do you think he or she should do? Do you think that the going and learning coding is a very good idea or not? Um, if that's someone who's really interested in technology and really wants to understand how uh, how things work, I mean, it always comes up to the person. But to me, yes, programming is one uh, profession where you definitely can be more in charge of your career because there is a lot of job opportunity um, it's relatively relatively new profession, and there is still a big lack of developers, uh, of good developers at least. Um, uh, the payment is very decent. Uh, the job market, I mean, there is is on the rise. Mm-hmm. We 
continue seeing a growth in uh, in program or in job opportunities programmer job job opportunities so yeah that is something that interests um you or the person i mean whoever mm-hmm. is that is someone that is of interest of the person i would definitely recommend to try it at least and see if you like it i mean i have this like if you never try you never know so <laughs> to me this is this is something very important but something that we need to take into consideration is that it's not easy it is hard it is a lot of work uh, now like back in the days it used to be okay you learn one language and you're good to go and now you have to learn that language in depth and you have to learn a framework around it so you don't have to like reinvent the wheel all the time and then you have to learn a million other tools so you can work properly uh, as a professional software developer uh, I mean it's not just the programming language anymore you need to learn Git you need to you need to learn like um, Gulp or uh, Grant then you need to learn um, that's for asset management and like automating some build tasks then you need to learn a con- uh, continuous development continuous integration you need to learn a little bit about Docker. You need to learn a little bit about server management. At least if you work in a small start- startup, you'll be the programmer and the DevOps person. So you definitely need to learn uh, Linux and feel completely comfortable setting up a naked server from zero to a working app online. Um, DNS, you have to learn... Uh, yeah, working in a team, you have to learn how to communicate properly. You have to learn all the tech tools to, you know, to um, uh, all the, you know, the, um, the bon ton, like the ethics of working in remote team, like sharing your time zone or converting, or I don't know, using the UTC time zone or something. You know, it is a hell of a lot of things. But are these things that you need to learn, some things that you can learn at the same time, are they, so for example, can you be learning Git, like you said, at the same time that you learn a little bit more about DevOps and continuous integration, or you have to do one thing at a time? Uh, No, you have to actually, well, I can say with uh, uh, 8 or 90% of certainty that you will most probably have to learn it while you are learning the technology because otherwise like how can you you won't be able to put your website on of course you can just do things locally but then eventually you will have to put that thing online and how are you going to do it you have to learn how to ssh into a server how to install nginx how to set up um uh, you know that uh, um and that website how to connect dns eventually you have to to learn everything Mm -hmm. and yeah how are you going to share your work with another developer or how are you going to even deploy if you don't uh, don't have git set up so of course there are ways for everything good old ftp still works i mean we've used it for years and it worked but it's just not the optimal way it's uh, yeah and no one and okay so first let's assume that you Someone that's listening to us, you can probably be in one of three sides. A, they didn't understand a single thing that both of you, both you and me just said. <laughs> B, they understood most of the things and are scared out of their lives and they don't want to think about programming ever again. Or three, they are very interested in knowing a little bit more about that. So assuming that we don't tackle the first 
group that doesn't understand a single thing that we just said. How can you tell to someone who's very scared or for example, he's learning, let's take me an example, HTML, CSF, CSS eventually. And I'm learning that right now. Now that I thought that I was going to learn about four different programming languages, you throw like seven more concepts onto my face. So how can you get, or <laughs> imagine that you're teaching someone and you're telling them, so this is HTML, this is the break, this is, and out of the blue you say, now you need to do, learn this. How do you stop yeah, someone? But you don't say that. <laughs> you don't say that. Not until they think they know it. I, uh, when they think, oh, yeah, now I got it. Now I know all of this. I, then you give them a little bit more. And then when they get that, then you give them a little bit more. And it has to be, I mean, when you're teaching, you have to, people have to feel that sense of gratification. And that's why HTML is amazing for starters, for people to start getting into coding a little bit because they write one line of code, they see a thing on the screen. Oh my God, this is a button, this is a link <laughs> like I see on the web pages every day when I, when I you know, Google things, for example. And um, they feel very happy and they get inspired to learn more and more and more and more and more. So when you give people you know, a small project, and they learn that. And then you add one more thing in that project and that adds one cool feature to that. They're like, oh, cool. Teach us more. Teach us more because it's cool. Mm -hmm. they, they like it. And they, uh, when you give them small bits, you know, it's easier to learn. And um, once they, let's say, once they get to uh, work on a project and then they make a change or they need to... Um, uh, to ex to change exchange code with a colleague, let's say HTML and CSS, they're going to start to feel the pains of versioning and version control. And then you say, boom, git, here it is. This is how it works. These are the concepts. Learn this. Uh, you'll be much better off. Uh, git Okay, so us, I was talking to a, also a developer friend the other day, and I said, come on, git is not a beast with three hats. He said, and he's a very good developer. He said, are you crazy? Git, Git is a beast with three heads. It's a freaking monster to learn. And there are still developers who need to Google things and who get um, who get in that mm, famous, notorious Git help. <laughs> so when it comes to merging and yeah, they, it is a deep profession with problems that can go deep. But if you go step by step and you rely on your community and uh Best case scenario, have a mentor mm -hmm. to help you learn or, or study with a group, then it, it gets much easier. And there are so many different problems to solve. For so many problems, you don't need to know that all of these technologies even exist. Like if you want to put a basic plain a static website online, you don't need to know. Like you, you can survive. You can do it without knowing it. You can do it. FTP. That's it. And then you're just careful and you name your folders, version one, last version, final version, really final version, you know? <laughs> <laughs> My girlfriend's a designer and she has a lot of those things like <laughs> part one, part two, part two real, part two for reals now, <laughs> part three, part four. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, but you can survive. You can do it and you can have a working website, for example, without knowing, without having to SSH in a server, without knowing what the terminal is, without, uh, yeah, knowing what Git is. It is possible. So that's why, yeah, there are so many things to learn if you need them. If you don't need them, you need to know, like, what are your other options, so. 
there are different problems to solve too. So there is work for everyone, I think. Okay, and going back to to Umhub. Yes. Uh, you are, you you don't want to give a business pitch, but specifically, what is it? Okay, so Umahab is a is a programming school meant to be really friendly and uh, not intimidating, and with a special focus on inspiring women to join tech. And I know that the women in tech question can be a topic can be a little bit you know it's a delicate subject to many people, but. Uh, having my background uh, and my experience in this world, uh, I say inspire women into tech. I don't, I don't think that sh- publicly shaming men who have been raised to be like that is our solution. I really don't believe that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe we need to work with the future generation and inspire more women uh, in tech. And that can be a real solution, actually, to the problem. Everything else is just, you know, people are, instead of really changing, many of them will just, you know, be scared to say anything. So, but anyway, yeah, that's a delicate subject. Uh, Back to Mahab, um, (laughs) inspiring women uh, to believe in themselves and to realize they can actually code. And that um, it's super fun (laughs) and that it can give them, you know, by Having this skill, uh, highly employable skill and well-paid, you get financial freedom and independence. Mm -hmm. And um, for me as a single mom, that is a particularly important uh, subject because I've seen uh, women struggling, single moms struggling after splitting because now suddenly they don't know how to support their family, their, their children. And I don't want to see that so much. I know that we can do so much better. And this is a thing. Uh, programming is something that you can do from your own home. Uh, I also yeah, always say this to people. Uh, well, I went to work two months after my son was born. And um, I was just working and breastfeeding, holding him with, my, with one hand and typing and working with the other. No problem. <laughs> well, it's not easy. It's really, it's not easy. It's been very, very difficult. Uh, when he was a baby, okay, they just sleep and shit and that's it. And eat. That's it. Three things. But once they start walking, oh my God, that's a really, yeah, that becomes, and they want your attention. So it's very difficult then to be a stay at home working mom, work from home, home, having your kid around. And now I find that impossible. I only do it when I really don't have any other choice. Mm. Okay. Uh, but yeah, having that, a possibility of having a baby and not having to quit your job uh, because of it I, uh, and having your own money, being independent mm-hmm. and being able to make a decision of uh, of living a situation that you don't like and just can't stand anymore. Uh, being that family situation or maybe a company situation where you have bullying at work or your boss is terrible or you just stagnant in a team where you can't learn anymore, you can't go up anymore. So, yeah, I think it gives uh, people a lot of possibilities. You can choose your own team, you can mm, get better money, you can work from wherever you want. I just think it's a it's a really nice profession. And uh, uh, so sorry. that was the intention of Umahab. And is Umahab? Uh, I don't think you. I don't think if you said. I don't remember if you said this, but is Umahab? Uh, you said part time, right? 
yes. So first I had this idea of making a, a normal programming bootcamp on site here in Eristeria, but with a big focus on like a, a remote on distributed teams and working remotely, uh, remote working culture and communication and 360 feedback. So all this, you know, um, next stage organization practices. Um, but then we, we got like only two confirmed signups plus two almost confirmed. So I said, okay, financially, this would maybe even make sense, but that's not the way I want to do it. I want to reach more people. And if we have such a low number of um, candidates, that means something. So let's try and change our, our methods. And then I, I um, canceled that bootcamp and uh, went back to the drawing board, start, started thinking, and I said, okay, if I really want to help women, uh, how am I going to actually help them in my, if I'm taking them three months away from their families? Mm -hmm. What mother is going to leave her child for three months? And even we said, okay, we do provide childcare include, included, so uh, people could have come with their children. But it's not simple like that. What about the fathers? We're going to stay away from their kids for three months. How about the grandparents? How about the the family? The kid itself that will have to change environments, and it's really not that simple. Mm -hmm. uh, so I said, okay, let's try and see how we can make this. And, and also the second point. Also, if we are going, if we promote remote work so much, why not make the course remote? So it's uh, online. online. Yes. So, uh, so I went back and restructured everything and came up with this uh, three-week course, just HTML and CSS in more depth where, you know, we explain everything and we have exercises together and office hours together and a hackathons together. Uh, so every um, Saturday we, we had hackathons where people worked in groups, in pair programming sessions, using um, tools for, for you know, uh, pair programming and different collaboration tools. Um, and it was amazing. So we had a few groups. It started going very well. Then we did a partnership with... Um, with womenintech.org, a global women in tech organization who's doing the Women in Tech Awards now in Lisbon. Uh, that was a great collaboration. We did a program for 50 women from around the world, uh, and we made sure we picked women from all the continents. Mm -hmm. um, we got over, I don't remember the numbers anymore. Was it over 200 or over 300 candidates? I don't remember anymore, but there were so many women interested. And as part of the, um, the sign-up form, uh, they had put a question like, tell us a little bit about your story. What, why do you want to join this course? And reading those stories was just so uh, uh, some inspirational, yeah, uh, inspiring, but also sometimes frustrating because I saw so many times people say, I'm stuck in this job. People tell me women are not uh, meant uh, to code. I want to prove my colleagues wrong. I'm a, I don't know, tester and the developers think so, um, uh, you know, they don't, they don't respect us or um, I'm a mom and uh, I'm about to have a kid. I don't know what to do. I think that maybe having a job like this, being able to work from home mm -hmm. um, will help, will improve my life and the life of my uh um, uh, kid and so uh, those stories um, inspired me even more to you know 
to invest a little bit um, in, uh, in, in that program. So for 50 women, uh, we also got, uh, no, I forgot the number, I think 10 or 12 volunteers, mm -hmm. uh, volunteer developers from all around the world. Thank you, Twitter, and thank, thank you, my mm -hmm. friends on Twitter for sharing that post. Um, and uh, uh, helping me find the, the volunteers. It was amazing. So we had every volunteer had a group of three people working to, uh, with them. Uh, so they had office hours, they were their mentors, and some really nice relationships formed uh, in there. The girls, the women were uh, impressed with themselves first. They felt empowered that they can do things. Now, yeah, just this morning, I got a message from one of the, the students saying that she's now studying Python and uh, uh, also continued in uh, 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 her exploration. Now, after knowing HTML, she's uh, very much interested in um, data visualization, and she's continuing um, that track and most probably switching to uh, some kind of data analysis job. Interesting. So even though she started just as HTML, CSS, you, you can, you, I mean, they're not even programming languages, they're markup and styling language, she still got inspired. Maybe that mindset of thinking a little bit how the computer sees things, it empowered her to get going, to start, you know, on the on the track uh, towards becoming, a, you know, a programmer. So that was how Umahab. Uh, uh, that is how Umahab works. But now, uh, after this big group of fifty uh, women. I was working on, you know, preparing the system. I built a system from scratch, like the, the student uh, platform. Uh, I built that from scratch, prepared it for the new course that I was about to launch. I had set a, a date, but I, I hadn't launched it. And as I was building it, I realized something. I was so freaking exhausted. I never, ever stopped anymore. I didn't have free time ever. When I stopped for a while, I felt that I'm missing and everyone else was doing things like uh, everyone else being like the entrepreneurship world. We were doing things and I was missing out and uh, not following with everything. Mm -hmm. I felt like I'm behind on everything because I had to be the teacher. I had to be the, the uh, course developer. I had to be the CEO. I had to manage the interns. I have. I had to uh, help the volunteer instructors. I had to do sales. I had to be the programmer for you know for the student platform. I had to do social media, which was the worst <laughs> for me. And I said, man, I don't have time for me and my son anymore. My son now only sees me stressed and worried. And so I had high risk levels. Mm -hmm not that big of a pay paycheck and no free time at all. And I said, man, I miss programming. And I realized, Elena, if you're a fucking engineer, you can continue doing with Umaha, but please, you are postponing the uh, announcing of the new course because you're dreading it. Actually, you don't want to continue doing it. You are just too stressed out and too overworked for that. And then I said, you know what? I'm not going to stress more about this. I'm going to uh, open source everything. 
Uma Hub is going to continue. I'm still thinking of de developing some new courses uh, together with Lisbon Data Science Academy. They need they're also they're also a nonprofit, so they need a Python course uh, as a prepared uh, preparation for the Data Science Academy. So they asked me to do that, and we are most probably going to be doing that together. And then the community is there. Now we have already people and um, people who re are really interested in continuing that, their development. The branding is there. Uh, the story is there. The mission is there. So uh, all of this is going to continue, but I realized I don't want to depend uh, uh, on this for money. Mm -hmm. I don't want to make this my main job. I don't want to be an entrepreneur. I don't want to be a CEO. That is just too much for me. My way of thinking is more like linear. I have one job to do, I do it, and I follow it step by step. With entrepreneurship, it's absolutely not like that. You have to think in all possible ways at all times. So, yeah, I got um, a job as a, as a lead developer in a startup, now transitioning towards uh, CTO very soon, over the next month or end of November. At most, we should be finishing the transition. And... Um, I'm happier than ever now. I now I work much less now. Uh, on average, uh, my time time tracking says that in the past two months I've been working on average five to five and a half hours per day. So I work much less. My stress levels are way low, actually inexistent now. I I'm not stressed at all. I have much more money, and I feel. Um, Amazing, uh, intellectually challenged uh, because I am solving hard engineering problems again. So, yeah, I couldn't be happier. And it, I think for me it was very important to be able to recognize this is not for me. Mm -hmm. it's, the, it's such a big buzz, entrepreneurship and startups and everything. And I somehow got, you know, caught on that bus and jumped on that train maybe just by habit because okay everyone else is doing it maybe i should do it too mm -hmm. but uh, i really i'm proud of myself for recognizing i don't enjoy it i i'm not enjoying this even though it started going really well it started getting recognition it started bringing money but i said i'm not enjoying this actually so and being brave enough to say, yeah, I quit. And I think that's a very, very interesting point. You're clearly not in a position as good a project it was for, at least for you specifically, you went to a position that you didn't feel comfortable maintaining the project. And I think it, it's, it requires a lot of self-awareness for someone to say, well, as much as I've been doing this, this is not who I am. Let's just take a step to another side and maybe go back to the course that at one point you were on and you decided to venture off, literally venture off into something else, but now you decided to go back and do this. And, yeah. and let yeah. me say that that requires not only a lot of guts, but a lot of uh, self-awareness and self-awareness is a skill that a lot of people are missing nowadays, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. Yeah. Because, okay. Oh, what are people going to say that she quit because she wasn't making money? Is that, but, it's not like that. Uh, of course, I was worried ab about that. What are people going to think? But the first time that the first bootcamp failed, mm -hmm. 
I was like, okay, oh my God, I failed. No, I didn't fail. I just realized on time before going deep and going into depth that this is not what the market wants. Mm -hmm. And we pivoted. So it was an amazing learning experience. But in the beginning, it was difficult. You take it personally. Am I not good enough? You're starting. You don't have the team that other other uh, code boot camps have. They've been there on the market for years. They have developers. They have like huge teams. They have a lot of money and a lot of experience too. They have tested curriculums. So why would someone choose my boot camp um, over theirs? Well, money, yeah, of course. Uh, so it should be way cheaper. But then there is limit to everything, right? So that first fail was a fail, but uh, it took me a while to n not take it as a failure. And now, I, you know, I've adopted this um, thing as there, like, there are no errors. I don't see that as a failure. I see that as a learning opportunity. So now, to me, everything is learning. And I... Just don't care. Mm -hmm. But it was also good when, when I said, okay, now I'm getting a new job. I'm not launching that next to my hub course. It was good because, you know, it, it happened right after uh, they published my name in Forbes, list of 100 female entrepreneurs in Europe to follow. And it was like this big thing. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I think it sounds much fancier than it than is. It really is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, yeah, because it's Forbes and stuff. So they asked this um, uh, lady who's really into women in tech. She has some organization for women in tech, global, very well recognized, um, to uh, put up a list of 100 women in tech. She came to a, a Facebook group, Tech Ladies, and she asked, hey, some female founders that uh, uh, female entrepreneurs, tech entrepreneurs um, uh, can like nominate someone. I nominated myself. I nominated Xenia Ashrafulina, the CEO of Invisible, Invisible City, and another girl who's working with uh, blockchain, Italian girl. Introdu uh, introduction is very valuable as well there. If you, if you know, any, I, I love blockchain people. Yes. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, uh, all three of us uh, ended up on the list and there were so many nominations, um, but somehow all three of us ended up on the list. I had done that uh, like month, weeks ago and I had completely forgotten about it, completely. Is that a recent thing? And that's a few months ago. I don't remember. Yeah, probably. A few Congratulations, really. Thank you. <laughs> so, yeah, my, uh, when I say, oh, hey, look, I got published on, on my Facebook, on LinkedIn, people have made a huge deal out of it. And I was like, oh, wow, okay, so maybe this is more than I was, you know, uh, it's more valuable than, <laughs> than I had <laughs> given it. <laughs> you know, and you know how something is, but then people start saying, oh, it's important. And then you start saying, oh, yeah, yeah. Of course, of course. <laughs> and... Um, but yeah, so you, so you when you have that kind of recognition, uh, it's kind of easier to say, no, I'm not quitting. I just choose to stop doing mm -hmm. Omaha. Um, but also, I realized one very important thing uh, with that uh, Forbes post. I actually don't enjoy media attention. 
I really don't. I think it puts some pressure and anxiety on me to then always be perfect and then ever again be able to do something wrong. I know that's absolutely not it, but it is how I feel. Mm -hmm. And I'm uh, not in the slightest an introvert person, but I, you know, I don't want to be the center. of. I, I don't enjoy being the center of attention. Just don't. I like to talk to people, yeah, one on one, but then me being in the center and other people looking, yeah, it's a little bit, yeah. I don't. I really don't enjoy it. And then with Umahab, um, uh, I I chose to yeah. Umahab branding was tightly coupled with my branding, with my name, uh, and. Uh, I don't know if I enjoyed that. Well, thank you. Much. Thank you very much for giving some time here for some media attention on the Pioneer Show, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is just a conversation. It's just the two of us now. There are not many ah, people sure. talking. <laughs> well, so. Thank you either way. So I would like to go now for some uh, lightning round. It's really simple. I'll ask you a couple of questions and you have less than one minute to answer. Is that okay? Yes. Tell me one to three books that have impacted you the most. Ooh, one to three books that have impacted me the most but like in life your choice your choice uh, I mostly read science fiction books I don't, I don't read those you know business books like uh, I, mean, I listen to Blinkist so things mm -hmm. like that but it doesn't stick that much to me I mostly read science fiction books Give them uh, top three. Uh, but that's not impact really. Well, I don't know. The book that I have loved most and one of the most, you know, genius is Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Of course, every week's book. Uh, I've read the Game of Thrones books. It's 42, right? The, the meaning of life is 42. Yeah. 42. <laughs> yeah. Did you know the coding school, uh, school 42 or 42 school, something like that? I think it's. I think I had read that somewhere. So, School Forty Two, it's a school, a uh, coding school or an engineering school, created by a French uh, millionaire. He made a lot of money in the early nineties. He's now he's a billionaire in France, and he created a school, a coding school called Forty Two, and that was a wink, wink at the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah, yeah, there are so many. <laughs> They're everywhere. Now, once you know the number and then it's just everywhere. <laughs> so many coding examples have it. <laughs> Every geek example has it. Like you see it everywhere. Okay. Tell me something you've changed your opinion in the last six months. Uh, many things. Uh, well, okay. That entrepreneurship is <laughs> fun and uh, that, you, ah, yeah, that you become uh, more free if you have your own business. Do you live by any kind of life motto or uh, do, you, do you have any quote that you like to live by? Um, yeah, a few. For, yeah, there are no errors. There are just uh, uh, learning opportunities, mm -hmm. one of them. Everything is uh, it's as it is supposed to be. If it's not, it's not the end yet. I know everything is, uh, everything is as is, 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 it is supposed to it be. is supposed to be in the end. If it's not, it's not the end yet. Oh, I like um, it. Yeah, I, I, that was, it was John Lennon or something. I learned that quote from my capoeira master, actually. Oh, nice. He always says that. And then I saw it somewhere and I thought it was someone else. Um, 
Yeah. Okay. If I gave you six months to prepare for a TEDx talk, but it couldn't be about programming or any kind <laughs> of business-related opportunities or your life as an entrepreneur, what would it be about? Um, communication in teams, empathy in tech teams, maybe, or uh, empathy in communication. Okay, interesting. Or in software design. <laughs> And last question. <laughs> It can be tech. <laughs> last question before we go into to the final parts. Um, what would you say to your college self if you had the opportunity to say it today? Kids are so much work. <laughs> 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 it is so much work think well before having them and at least be be prepared be more prepared uh, last question really now is what's the one thing that you do outside of work that you feel that impacts your life the most uh, uh, yeah I, I go for walks on the beach and I go uh, for walks in nature very often every time I can and um Yeah, I chose to move in a small town, like a fisherman village place, having a great community around. And uh, together with a few of my friends, we started to build up intentionally, uh, intentionally a community. And now we have a great number of people, amazing brains attracted to the pla this place. And we just, I think we live in paradise. We have... Um, uh, uh, Peace of mind. Uh, we have great friends who we can rely on. Uh, we have structured learnings, um, amazing nature close by, um, and then you know just the thing uh, that uh, just one thing that actually I don't have to do <laughs> completely changes my life. I don't have to drive in a big city. I drive in a small villa and you only realize the value of that once you go out of the big city because you don't realize the stress you have when you drive back home after work or you go anywhere. You only realize that uh, if you go out of the city, stay in the villa for a while and then you go back to the city and have to drive there again. You see how stressful that freaking thing is. So yeah, well, living in a small city with a tight, tight knit mm -hmm. community for me is a life changer and I wouldn't, never uh, give up on that just to be you know able to work in a better team or, or work or make much more money one, so, one of the things no that way. you just mentioned but I've I felt a lot in Paris and in, in Lisbon that going into the city was quite stressful but here in Berlin specifically here in Berlin because the public transportation system is so good Never stressed going anywhere. I know that at most it will take me 45 minutes, but usually it's between 15 to 20. I'm always good. Yeah, that's really, really amazing, actually. Yeah, being able to rely on, on the public transportation network is, is really amazing. But also with the kid, and when you have to do groceries and when you take care of family and taking him to school. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if it's 10 minutes walking distance for you, you wouldn't go and take the metro. But if it's 10 minutes walking distance with our four-year-old oh my god look at this flower oh look at this cat Why, kitty kitty it's half an hour <laughs> well i don't think I, yeah it's a different reality man <laughs> uh, i don't know of a better place to end this conversation so elena where can people find more about you and find and get in touch with you 
Um, uh, through my website, www.elenakolevska.com or blog or Twitter, uh, Elena underscore Kolevska, LinkedIn, whatever. Mm. It's just Google. Okay. <laughs> Elena without an H. Elena without Elena an H and Kolevska. Don't worry, everyone. Yes. Every, every link will be on the show notes. So don't worry about trying to write this right now. Elena, it was a great pleasure having you here on the Pioneer News Show, and I can't wait to know more about Invincible Cities. I would love to get an introduction, and I can't wait to hear more about the startup that you're working at. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for inviting me. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for plugging into this episode. I truly, truly hope you love this conversation as much as I did. Elena was really inspiring and I did tremendously enjoy talking with her about her experience. Any other information that you might have missed will probably be linked up in the show notes. If you enjoyed this conversation, consider subscribing to make sure that this podcast grows. We can get some more people and help everyone be the pioneers of their lives and careers. If there's any feedback that you might have for me, reach out on social media. A big thank you to Elena for her time and Isabel for arranging this conversation. And to Thibaut Frondlin, aka DJ Rodia, for the music of the Pioneer Show. So talk to you in the next episode. Till then, bye-bye. <laughs>